And then a big one for my dad was always arthritis and falls in the elderly. Like if you just look at the aging adults, like it's insane the amount of adults that live with arthritis. And what we know across the spectrum, and we know this from research that to limit the effects of this, if we had better monitoring, screening, assessing and tracking, a lot of these things could be prevented, prolonged, you might not need a hip replacement because we're properly monitoring and intervening. But always there's just been this gap where how can we intervene and change behaviors or prevent some of these things is through technology and what my dad would always talk about, the democratization of gate analytics. Welcome to the Driving Force Podcast, everyone. I'm your host, Chase Rosa. In this podcast, I'll be unraveling the stories of high performers across sports, business, and wellness. By presenting their stories, uncensored and uncut, I hope to inspire you to take a step back, look within, and evaluate your path and journey. Today's guest is Quinn Sandler. Quinn is a designer, product builder, investor, entrepreneur, and musician. He's founded four startups in the last 12 years, Keystone Learning, a mobile tutoring company, Principal Design Group, a branding and identity company, Fest This, a media and live events production company, and is currently leading the charge at Plantiga, a human analytics company with one simple goal, to build the most comprehensive, intelligent system that monitors, analyzes, and predicts human movement for recovery, health, and fitness. Plantiga provides members insights on their movement health through a combination of sensor insoles, which track how you walk, run, jump, and change direction, and one-on-one coaching with certified movement specialists to help you better understand what to do with the data you're getting from the insoles. In this interview, we get into Quinn's career pivot from musician to entrepreneur, the companies he founded prior to Plantiga, and all things Plantiga and movement health. And so, without further ado, my interview with Quinn Sandler. Awesome. Well, Quinn, thanks for coming to the show and for reaching out too. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure, man. I appreciate being here and thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I want to start this one off at the beginning. Um, so like, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, in an area of Vancouver called North Vancouver. So uh, as you can imagine, it's north of Vancouver, but I grew up below mountains. So there's a, a ski hill called Grouse Mountain. I kind of grew up in this beautiful, you know, uh, naturally rich environment, uh, which to this day, as I've traveled around the world, I'm very, very fortunate uh, to have called home. Nice. And uh, is that where you're based now in Vancouver? Yeah, so our company and where we are based is, is in Vancouver. I live in a, a, a town, maybe half an hour outside called Port Coquitlam, but basically it's the same thing. It's Vancouver. Okay. Okay. Got it. And what, like while you're growing up and like as a kid stuff, like what were you interested in? Like, was it sports, art, music, etc.? So I grew up in like, I don't know, I kind of say a hippie family, but my parents were meditating every day and we were vegetarians before that was even a thing. Okay. <clears throat> so uh, we were very arts-based. So I went to an art school called the Waldorf School. It's like a private art school. So we were doing clay work and music and, you know, any art you could think of um, was done. I actually in parallel did play a ton of sports and the reason why I left the art school is because I wanted to play more sports but I played basketball and baseball and football so I was very very athletically uh, inclined um, and still to this day but it was interesting I, I came from a very artsy family and I think I was the only one that really pushed the pushed the athletics yeah so wait, did you meditate every day like when you were when you were younger and like as a kid yeah, so we used to meditate as a family, as you can imagine, like my mom, my dad, my brother, me, we're sitting there, fingers crossed, going through some meditation techniques, but we often would meditate as a family. Um, my mom still meditates probably an hour to an hour and a half a day. She wow. is uh, she is dedicated. I kind of get maybe three or four days in a week, um, some weeks more, some weeks less, but yeah, it's, uh, it's critical to my well-being. Interesting. Okay. And um, so like, as you got older and going into college, like, what did you think you wanted to do for a career? So going back to the arts, but I played music a ton. So when I was young, I actually thought I was going to be 
a professional musician. And I played in a band called The Cause and we got a development deal with a record label and we went on tour and recorded and we played. That was kind of in parallel as I was in school. I actually thought I was going to go down that route. I thought I was going to be a musician. Um, but, you know, as I got further into it and I was kind of starting companies alongside it, I realized that being a traveling musician was definitely not what I wanted to do. Um, and I wanted to make more of an impact on the world. And I definitely wanted to make a lot more money. Okay. Interesting. It's funny. You're like maybe the fourth or fifth person now that I've had on the podcast who used to be like a musician in a band and then decided to leave that to become like an entrepreneur. <laughs> you know, what's funny is it's very similar. So if you think of a band, you know, the singer could be like the CEO, the drummer could be like the CTO. It is a group of people that get together and are trying to write music and create some art form. I think the parallels to a startup are so similar. Like when we build a product, there's a lot of, you know, coordination and we debate messaging and positioning and how we want to roll it out. The parallels, I think, between being in a band and being in a startup are, you can write a book on it actually. Yeah. That's interesting. And what was, what was your role in the band? What did you do? I played guitar and I sang backup. Okay. Okay. Got it. Would you say that you're like a natural or born entrepreneur? Like were you the kid who was always starting lemonade stands or like had a journal of business ideas growing up? A hundred percent. In fact, in my office, I have this printout. When I was 11 years old, I didn't find this until like maybe two or three years ago at my mom's house. I had printed out uh, uh, an eight by and a half, 11 piece of paper and I would put, put it up, but it said reliable 11 year old available for errands, housework and yard work, please <laughs> phone. And I had my parents' um, number. I should take a picture of it. It's awesome. But I have that from when I was 11. So I was very much, I say hustling, but like I was very much like, let's go out there and grab the world. Even from when I was a, uh, a young kid. So yes, I was very, have been very entrepreneurial um, my entire life. Yeah. And what, uh, so what age did you decide to leave the, the musician, I guess that band career behind and like become an entrepreneur? So I think I was in my early twenties, maybe around 21 or 22. And the singer in my band got married and moved to the States. And I think I was disillusioned and I was trying to debate like, what did I want to do? with my life. And I kind of was, you know, you know, you have a lot of hopes and dreams when you're a young kid. And especially if you're trying to go after some artistic pursuits, it took it out of me for sure. But I think during that time, I thought, you know what, I like creating things. I was starting to tutor a bunch. So I was like, you know, I should just to turn my tutoring into my own little company and see if I can't try to start something. So it was probably around 20 or 21, where I thought, you know what, I'm going to just start doing stuff myself. Uh, but it was a very clear switch. I was disillusioned with my band experience. I thought we were going to be rock stars. That kind of fell flat. Um, yeah. And then I went down that path. Although, like, I still write. I still play. I still sing. I still love it. And I actually want to get my stuff in, like, TV and film. But never is my career anymore. Right. Right. But still a bit, still a big part of your life. I still identify as one. Like, when I, lots of my friends play in bands, some successful, some not. Like, I... In, in a strange way, I'd almost identify as an artist, although I think that that name is pretentious, but, you know, I definitely still do it and, and, and hold that dear to my heart. Yeah. Did you go to college? I went to Cap College. So that was in Vancouver. Um, now it's Cap University. And I went part-time for three and a half years. So I never completed. I actually left because I started to make way more than I ever had in my life with my tutoring company. Like I was doing very well. And I thought to myself, ah, let's go after the entrepreneurial side here. And who cares about political science? Um, so <laughs> I kind of regret it. I feel like I should have, but no, I, I, I never completed it. Uh, even though you didn't complete it, did you find it at all valuable in any way, the experience or? It's, I think I just like the pure education. It was like, especially in poli sci, I really enjoyed learning about philosophy and power politics and macroeconomics, things that I still hold dear today. And I still read on 
those topics. So yeah, I, I'm very glad I went and I would go again and I would encourage my kids to. What was interesting though, is I went more on the fine arts side. I think if I was to encourage my children, it would be more on the like computer software, you know, comp sci, something that has more upswing in terms of a career, but no, I'm (laughs) very glad I went. Okay. Got it. And so this tutoring company, um, like what inspired you to start it in the first place? So I had always tutored kids and I am good and continue to be good at taking complex information and simplifying it. And I think I learned early on, so I called it keystone learning. I learned early on that every kid was very unique in how they learned. So some kids weren't good in math, but it's because the teacher spoke to them. And kids sometimes don't learn through their ears. They need to learn through their hands or, you know, like people absorb information in a different way. So I kind of put together a thesis of how I tutored. And then I got some people that worked for me and we, you know, pushed ahead. And I think I liked the operating part, the biz dev, the getting customers, getting clients, you know, hiring, paying tax and kind of understanding the operations of running a company. I think I really thrived in learning that. So I loved it. Um, it was a fantastic experience. I just, I can't tutor grade nine math anymore. I've probably done it 140 times. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, so how long did you have the tutoring company for? I think from probably 21 till maybe 28, about six or seven years. Okay. Um, I had that. Again, it was just, it was such good money that it was hard to turn away from mm-hmm. but it was a while it was yeah. a long time and in parallel i had a couple other companies as well but uh that was kind of my primary focus in my very first one uh do you mind me asking how much you were making from the company oh no no no, for sure i was making close to six so i'm 38 so when so that's like 16 years ago but there were some years i made like 95,000, 110, wow. 105, and for all my friends they were like maybe making like 30 or, you know, like where they were going and coming from future shop or Best Buy or some version of that and making like, you know, $23,000 in a year. And I was doing, you know, four or five times that. So it was a really good experience to realize, wow, like if you put your mind on something, you can kind of do well. So yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah. So now maybe like, before we get into Plantiga, like walk us through the companies that you founded prior to Plantiga. Um, you know, they all, I looked at your like LinkedIn profile. They all seem like pretty different. Um, so I'd love to know like what made you decide to start each company and like how they're connected if, in, if any, in any way. Yeah. They were kind of, I guess, projects that I was interested in that I just started to turn into a company. So I started one called the Principal Design Group literally because I was tutoring and I built my own website and design was something that my dad had 25 years of experience in. So I always grew up around a designer, so graphic design and logos and branding. So I built my own website and it was good. And then someone asked me if I could build theirs. And I was like, dude, I'm a tutoring guy. Like I don't build, I don't do branding. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do it. So I started and I built a one, then two, then three, then four. And I thought, you know, I should probably make a company here because I'm, I came to be, I I seem to be getting contracts. So I set up a a company called the principal design group. We probably did anywhere between 80 and 90 different branding and identity projects. So everything from like bakeries to nightclubs, to restaurants, to real estate agents, where I would do their brand. And then I got good in when I was when I was too full on, I would piece out that work to other people, but under our um, umbrella. So that's kind of how that happened. Okay. Um, and that kind of went into the next one, which we, me and some other friends started a company um, called Festus, where we were pitching our services to live event um, production company. So we were going and producing live video content for Live Nation 
and Volkswagen. So I kind of, through my web contact world, talked my way into pitching Volkswagen and Honda on doing commercials for them. So again, <laughs> I just, you know, I kind of have a, not a big mouth, but like I talk my way into something. And when someone says, hey, Quinn, do you think that you can do that? I'd be like, of course we can. Of course we can. <laughs> so then that kind of yeah. led in, into it. So Festus, I think we probably did, you know, people 30 different projects over four or five years so again like these were kind of in parallel but they did all link together um and they were just kind of an organic progression i think of you know getting enough contracts in one area that you wanted to start a company yeah what are some of the key takeaways or like lessons learned from these prior companies that you've kind of really taken with you as been building plantiga like your current company I think the biggest one that I realized was they were services companies. You can't scale service. You know, you can't scale you. If you're producing content for Live Nation, you can't scale that. That's not a product. It's not a widget that you can, you know, command C, command B. You can't copy and paste that. It is very synchronous. It's not asynchronous. So I think I learned that I enjoyed those projects that were very creative but they weren't at the scale that I felt like I could hit. So I thought I wanted to, I wanted to drive more value, make greater impact and affect more people. And for that, I, I had to move into the product world. I had to move into the software, hardware, something that you could build, but you didn't have to be there to facilitate the actual exchange of value. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how, how long of a process in terms of like thinking about like what product you wanted to sell? Like how long was that process until you actually landed on Plantiga? So that's a little bit of a story intertwined with my family. So my dad is who I founded Plantiga with. And my dad unfortunately passed away four years ago now um, okay. from aggressive prostate cancer. But my dad was actually the founder of Plantiga and was working. So my dad had a background in biomechanics and product design and was a designer and an engineer and was working around taking ground reaction force, which is what you get from force plates and trying to generate that data from footwear. So my dad was having all of these thoughts around, okay, how can we generate the biomechanics of movement from footwear look at all of the blue sky applications. And it was during that time where I was doing some, you know, life thinking like, I don't know if I want to be building websites or doing live productions or commercials for Volkswagen. Like, I don't care about that. That I decided, you know, I think I'm going to work with my dad here and we're going to kind of see if something's here. So that actually, it's not like I searched in, you know, long and hard. I kind of, again, fell into it a bit. Um, right. And that's kind of was where we started maybe about, nine or 10 years ago in my late twenties. Okay. Got it. How did, uh, so how did your dad, I guess, come up with the name Plantiga? So actually the name was me, but oh, the name was kinda, you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we were trying to think of names and my dad would talk about plantigrade all, all of the time. So plantigrade means a mammal that stands with the soles of his feet on the ground. Like if you Google plantigrade means a man, there's very few mammals that do that humans bears do if you ever see a bear stand up it's it, it, it's heel it's calcaneus and its metatarsals are flat on the ground very few mammals do humans are definitely one mm -hmm. and i thought plantigrade plantigrade that is literally what we're talking about about movement and motion i think it was in the brainstorm we thought well, what about plantica that kind of has that name sounds a little bit more like a startup or a brand um, but that's where the name comes from plantigrade which is not too eloquent, but that's the basis. Okay. Interesting. And so now getting a little bit more, I guess, in depth with Plantiga, maybe just provide a quick overview of the company as it stands today for the people listening. Yeah, of course. So Plantiga today is a wearable driven health platform that helps people move better um, through the analysis of movement, through education, through coaching, and through monitoring. Um, really so people can live healthier, happier, and higher performing lives. And we do that through combining our sensor insoles 
which measure how you move, how you walk, how you run with precision. And then we build coaching recommendations, insights, programming, and education on top of that. Uh, again, to drive positive outcomes for our members. And that could be fending off a looming injury or recovering from an injury or really just working towards some performance goal. Okay, got it. Um, can you maybe like walk us through what a classic use case of the Plantiga platform might look like? Sure. And maybe I should give a little bit more context too. So we spent the last three years servicing the best organizations in the world. So we would sell our sensors and insoles to the likes of the LA Dodgers and the Houston Rockets and the Sacramento Kings and lots of NBA and NFL teams. In those situations, they would use Plantiga to baseline athletes. So let's get a walk test, a run test, multiple jump tests, change of direction. Um, and then we would help them collect and analyze that data. So it might be uh, an Achilles tendinopathy or return to play from an ACL. And we would kind of do the RTP monitoring supported. Baseline is a big one. We also would use be like evaluating performance, but basically it was kind of injury prevention, fatigue, readiness, return to play, re rehabilitation or performance. So one of those three buckets. At the beginning of this year, we started a beta program where we were offering that exact same product and service to individual athletes. So now that's why we call them mem members. Um, and the use case is exactly the same. So we now have close to 100 members in our program and it's rapidly expanding. But basically we're helping lawyers, doctors, triathletes, marathoners in those three buckets. I wanna run, a marathon under three hours. So it's a performance goal. I'm dealing with a nagging left knee injury that hasn't healed itself in 10 years. And we're working with them to monitor, assess, train up, identify deficits. So it's kind of the same principle we use in pro sport, but now that we're offering it to individual athletes, it's kind of opened up the floodgates a bit more. Got it. Okay. And so people have like a visual, so like these insoles, is there like a, how is like the technology embedded in an insole? Like just so people can visualize it? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. So we're not a pressure sensor insole. We're not a clip. We're like a little pod that's about the size. You guys don't have, we are Canadian, so you don't know what a toonie is, but it's <laughs> really not that big. It's maybe about an inch long, kind of an inch uh, wide. It's about, you know, 20 pieces of paper thick. This pod houses an IMU, which is a type of motion sensor. Um, and that Velcros into an insole. So our insole basically is just the vehicle that holds the sensor pod. And that Velcros in, but you could also embed that sensor pod into an orthotic. Ultimately, we think it will be embedded in shoes, but that sensor pod has been tuned okay. up to measure things like ground contact time and flight time and stride length and right versus left asymmetries. We do limb speed, body center of mass speed, jump height, uh, change of direction. So kind of a, a really comprehensive suite of metrics that you can pull from those. And then we provide the coaching and the analysis and the assessments on top of that. Got it. Okay. And then that transmits the data to some app that you have right on some yeah so actually right now they're not wireless so i actually take the pods out when i'm done okay <clears throat> excuse me and i put them on what we call a dock because we we sample at 420 hertz which is just really high for a wearable like an apple watch will be 10 hertz as an example so because there's so much data we actually put it on this little, little dock that kind of holds the pod and it makes a connection and it uploads the data to our cloud and then you go on a web app or a mobile app and you can take a look at the data trends etc right okay interesting in our uh pre-podcast call you, you you talked about how your team fundamentally believes that there's a movement health crisis can you talk more about that for sure. Now, this actually goes back to even me and my dad about a decade ago. If you take a look at the world, the rates of injury are staggeringly high. So, and it's getting worse. One out of two Americans 
and this is for the Western hemisphere, have a musculoskeletal problem. So that means that they are dealing with some skeleton ligament joint problem that is causing pain. Youth injuries, <clears throat> it was bad 10 years ago, but like the rates of youth injuries right now is staggering. Like surgeons are doing ACLs on 14 year old kids. 20 years ago, that just never happened. So you just have this kind of epidemic in youth injuries in the adult population that's dealing with you know, some pain. And then a big one for my dad was always arthritis and falls in the elderly. Like if you just look at the aging adult, like it's insane the amount of adults that live with arthritis. And what we know across the spectrum, and we know this from research that to limit the effects of this, if we had better monitoring, screening, assessing and tracking, a lot of these things could be prevented, prolonged. You might not need a hip replacement because we're properly monitoring and intervening, but always there's just been this gap where how can we intervene and change behaviors or prevent some of these things is through technology and what my dad would always talk about, the democratization of gait analytics. Like, mm -hmm. We know it's valuable, but if you want to go and get your gait analyzed, you're going to go have to find a running lab that has cameras or an instrumented treadmill, or you're going to have to go into a human performance lab. The regular individual can't access that. That was always the driving goal is the democratization, like bringing the lab to the individual, not the other way around. Right. Um, so that kind of plays into the movement health crisis is there are hundreds of millions of people in America, where there's no products, no services, nothing that actually looks at the way that they move, which if you actually think about it, is one of the best lenses to look even into the progression of Parkinson's to take one example. Um, gait speed is a predictor of falls. Like we have so many, like there's so much there, but again, there's nothing really that allows us to track the movement health of a human being. Um, without like a dinky phone or a wristwatch that does like a gross approximation of some of that. So that same issue was 10 years ago and you know, it still is ever present um, today. Yeah. Yeah. And so if I were to use Plantiga and wear the insoles, like what, what would my experience be? Like if, if everything was exactly how you'd want it to be, if that, if that makes sense. My, in terms of my yeah, experience. no, of course. So let me ask you a question. Are Do you have any like underlying physical problems? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever been injured before? Not that you have to be. Yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten like turf toe a few times and that's been annoying. <laughs> turf toe does hurt. Yeah. Okay. So let's say that you're healthy actually for all intents and purposes. Are you training for anything? No, not at the moment. Okay. So that's fine. Let's just assume you. So your experience would be you sign up for Plantiga. We ship you out our sensors and our hardware. One thing that we do, which I think is a little bit different, is we actually combine all of our mem members. We sync them up with one of our movement coaches. When I say by movement coach, I mean a Plantiga employee. That is a sports scientist, uh, strength and conditioning coach, but that is trained to use Plantiga. And in fact, this group that we had would actually be doing the analysis for our protein. So you'd get your own very um, movement coach. We would, you'd onboard. So they'd walk you through it. They'd set it up and they would talk to you about your goals. So if you wanted to get back to training or performance, if you wanted to recover from an injury, if you're just looking at wellness and prevention, we would build a movement profile for how you move. So we would get you to do some walk tests, some sprint tests, some runs. We get you to do some jump tests, say single leg jump, double leg jump. We'd actually build a signature for how you moved. And then depending on your goal, we would help you towards that. So a lot of the people in our program run. So we're tracking the loads of their run, their right versus left asymmetry. How's their workload from one week to the next? Are they trying to prepare? We can help correct cadence look at asymmetries, we look at peak vertical acceleration. So we actually do a bunch of data dives and analysis. And again, depending on your goal, we'd work with you on a regular basis. But basically, we would tag along on any type of training that you would be doing. So that could be CrossFit, 
where that could be kind of on the tarmac or in the trails if you're going for runs. Okay. Got it. And so are these movement health, these coaches, um, that you're, that are employees of Plantiga, is that, are like, are they working for Plantiga full-time? Like, is that their full-time job? It is their full-time job. So each one of our coaches has about 40 members. Um, and then they onboard them and work with them depending on their goals. And that's their full-time job. We think as we expand, we'll be more like a noom. So might be contractors that will be right. trained to use Plantiga and will have their own um, members. But we also, which is interesting, we're having a lot of clinics that use our product where their patients want to start using Plantiga. So we might make it so they're the clinician or the practitioner that uses us, their patients can buy Plantiga and they could use Plantiga and the practitioner could, mo could monitor their patient via our platform. So almost kind of moving into like a remote patient monitoring um, scene a bit. Right. Um, but yeah, right now to come back to your question, they're full time, but we don't think that the, that might not always be like that. Okay. What is the, the makeup of the customer base look like now for the company? And like, what are your target markets? You've, yeah, you've kind so of mentioned this a bit, but yeah. So we kind of see the buckets in three. So one is we have a runner who, you know, 78% of people who run have an injury you know, at least once in a year. So they're kind of a data heavy community. They're often injured. And a lot of times what we can do is we can really help identify, identify trainable deficits and really actually do a lot to, to support them. So that's one bucket. The other is the biohacker. So we have a lot of people that are trying to better understand their health and really care about longevity and want to look at their asymmetries and their walking load and their forces there. And that's like a big bucket actually is the people, we kind of offer a new modality into human health. So that's kind of one. And the third one is we're getting a lot of people that have lower limb injuries. So we've probably worked, when we, when we go to pro teams, a lot of what we do is knee, ankle and hip injuries. So we track and monitor and help kind of prepare them to get back to competition. We find a lot of our users are dealing with knee, ankle, Achilles, hip injuries. And then we become very helpful in monitoring, assessing and prescribing. Like if you have an ACL, you're at, high, you're at the highest risk of re-injury two years out after your surgery. And 33% of people that get ACLs re-injure themselves. So it is just a devastating, and about like a half a million people get that every single year in, in the US. So that group I feel like is something that we're starting to kind of go down, but you know, that's about a third of our members right now and almost okay. the majority of what we do with professional sport. Got it, okay. And going back to the movement health crisis, I guess topic a, a bit, like how much of our, I guess overall, just like sedentary lifestyle these days, would you say is also contributing to kind of this health crisis, movement health crisis? Oh, I think it's multifactorial, but it's a right. huge one. I think, I think the sedentary lifestyle is, is people do too much too soon often, right? I like, I sit down, I work all week and I go for a run on the weekend and I get like the beginnings of Achilles tendinopathy. It's like, well, yeah, like you hit the pavement, you haven't run in two or three weeks. You just pounded that tissue. Like, what did you think was going to happen? And I think that's so common. So I think the sedentary lifestyle is one. I think we have way too much over-specialization in youth sports. So I think kids are getting hurt way faster because they're playing baseball. That's it over and over and over. Whereas when we were young, like I played basketball and baseball and soccer and like every sport. So I feel like mm -hmm. there's a couple um, reasons why, but I think sedentary is a huge, huge contributor. We just don't move as much anymore. Even just like walking, like, you know, reverse 30 or 40 years ago, people would just walk a hell of a lot more, even 10 years ago. Like, that's the issue with the digital world that we all live is we live our lives sitting in front of a screen and we don't move. And like, <laughs> that's just, I think even the pandemic too, like the thing about going to an office is you walk to the office, you take the train, you take the subway, you go for coffee, you walk to, even now that that's gone, people literally stay in their house day in, day out, day in, day out. Like this is not good for a human being at all. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned that. I just, I just started a remote job, a uh, new remote job a, f- a few weeks ago. Um, and it's just like, I thought I would, I kind of liked it at first. Like, uh, it's kind of like flexible, you know, we can get a break to do laundry and stuff like that. But like, as it's kind of progressed a little bit more, I do miss the, I don't know, even, even the commute a little bit, even though I hated, yeah. I kind of hated it before, but I just, I don't know, just getting it out, just keep going outside and just, I don't know. Going outside yeah. and getting on the bus, seeing people, yeah. observing the world, putting your headphones in, listening to Smashing Pumpkins and walking on. You just <laughs> miss all of that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's a big a big contributor back to your point. Yeah. Um you you said um earlier in the podcast uh how the way humans move can be like the best lens into our health. Can you talk about that a little bit more? For sure. So this is not just my comment. This is well well researched. Um let's just take gait speed, which just means how fast I walk. Um Every five-year increment, like 15 to 20, 20 to 25, has a very well understood average gait speed. So let's say that I'm 30 to 35, I should be walking, I actually don't know the number off the top of my head, like 2.4 meters per second, and I jump down to two. That's a considerable drop. That could be the cause of lots of things. If I have a disease like Parkinson's or something else, gait speed really becomes a marker for how well I'm doing. If I'm over the age of 50, gait speed becomes a marker for how well I'm doing. In fact, if we drop below one meter per second, we really might die soon. Like our rates of morbidity skyrocket if you can't walk past one meter per second. So just gait speed alone becomes this amazing anchor of a health metric. Another one like asymmetry. So that's just what side of my body I compensate in. Every single human being is asymmetrical in how they walk and how they run. And it's different. Sometimes you'll like be, you'll favor your left leg when you're walking and you'll favor your right leg when you run. But every human being has a healthy band. And what we know from our work is it's roughly about plus or minus 10%, depending on the metric. So it becomes critical that if I have let's say an ACL problem or a hip problem, I might have really high asymmetry where I'm favoring my injured leg and I'm like 40% and 60%. Well, we know that if we can look at that metric, that will help us understand if we're getting back to our range, kind of plus or minus 10. So we can use the data to really drive how is somebody doing Are they progressing? Are they regressing? As opposed to right now, if you go to physio, a clinician, a physical therapist literally will look at you and be like, you look good. I don't know about you, dude, but I am not comfortable having my health and wellness determined by somebody giving like a judgment call. So I think that movement, depending on, so we just went the health route. Movement with performance is huge. Like, what's your rates of acceleration, your ground contact time? Like, you can start analyzing someone's performance in a new uh, lens by going through that. So, it's really underpinned by a data driven approach. But the way that we move, depending on what we are looking at, right. um, is a biomarker that's just not, it's not utilized because people don't have access to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we hope to change. Right. The democratization of gate analytics, like you said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. What's the, the business model for Plantiga, like subscription services, et cetera? Yeah. So, you know, when we were selling to teams, it was always larger subscriptions. So anywhere between 4000 and $50,000 a year. Um, now that we've gone to individuals, we charge them a base uh, membership fee of $50 a month. And that basically gets them their own movement coach that they can text in the platform, the sensors, the apps, et cetera. We do quarterly reports. Um, and then we charge $100 on that for movement coaching. Now, everyone in our platform right now is spending $150 a month, which is expensive, I understand. But they get their own movement coaching programs and personalization. We think by the next, the beginning of next summer, people will be able to join the platform and not necessarily need a movement coach. They might just want access to the community, 
to the hardware, to the analysis, to the reporting, and they can message a movement coach. But if they wanted to have Zooms or an actual like personalized approach on a week-to-week basis, they would spend that extra amount. But even then, we are trying to we're trying to experiment with nailing down pricing, so it might come down a little bit from there. Right. Um, but that's kind of how we are running it right now. Okay, interesting. Um, how how is the pandemic and how did like COVID and all that affect the business? I think it was really positive for us, which is interesting. But I think I think the pandemic really highlighted this this emphasis on wellness. And we've had a lot of people join our program and they tell us that they started to run during the pandemic and they haven't been able to like correct some of their, you know, movement issues. And they're really eager to get on a movement coach and to work with us. And, but it's brought on by the pandemic. It's brought on by people wanting to invest in their wellness. A lot of what we do is personalized healthcare. Like when we are giving you feedback, like let's say you join and we give you your movement profile, we're giving you feedback that's very tailored to who you are. And I think that that has been highlighted during the pandemic. Um, And I think it, it will forever have changed the world what we've gone through. So for us, it's been really, really good. Um, It's been, yeah, it's kind of highlighted this like emphasis on wellness that I don't think was there pre pandemic. That's my opinion, at least. Yeah. Yeah. And I've definitely heard that from other, uh, other founders and CEOs I've talked to who have companies kind of in this fitness, health and wellness, human performance space is that the pandemic has actually acted as sort of a catalyst for the business because it's brought things like preventative health to the forefront of so many people's minds. Whereas before it wasn't really, wasn't really that. We do customer discovery calls with every person that joins and even people that have signed up. So our wait list is growing at a pretty good clip, which is great. A lot of the reasons why people want to join is preventative. So they're like, well, we measure load and load per limb and asymmetries and all these things. And when people learn about that, they're like, oh, like I want that because I got hurt a couple of years ago and I don't want to get hurt again because when I get hurt, I can't move. When I can't move, I get depressed. And the amount of people that are in our, that are members that talk about this wanting to stay in the game for longer, wanting to continue to run. We have a lot of people between 40 and 60, like that just want to maintain an athletic lifestyle, but don't want to be taken out because of injuries. That's a huge draw, which again, like I never would have thought there'd be so many people who understand the concept of prevention. Cause that's not really how we're like hardwired. We deal with things as humans when the leg gets broken, the ACL gets torn. We don't really do a lot around building resilience to prevent those things. And again, I think the pandemic accelerated that thought process. Yeah. 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 Totally. I totally agree. Um, what's it been like to, to raise money for Plantiga? Like it's a very, like your company's very like niche specific. It's not like it's another, I don't know, email marketing software company that a lot of VCs have, you know, see all the time. So just like curious what that would help with the yeah, funders process it, been like. So we are venture backed, which is awesome. I think to some investors, they don't, they don't get it. Um, I think we have a couple of things which make it challenging. And I like big, big kudos to the investors we do have on the institutional and angel side that see the future. But I think we are wearables, so we're a hardware product, which for a bunch of investors, that is just a no-go. Um, we are building something that's never been done. So we're not doing heart rate. We're taking what's been in a lab and we're bringing it to individuals. And the big question is like, like who cares? Do people care about movement health? I think it's something that we not have to overcome, but we have to explain that it's not that they care about movement health, but people care about living a long and healthy life. So if you show them that like investing in their movement health now will do that, then that is what we will ride the wave on. So it's been good. You know, we probably raised, I don't know, maybe $5 million to date. Probably next year we'll add another 10. Um, So we definitely have investors that see that, but I'd say for a bunch of investors, you know, Investors say they're risk tolerant, but lots of them are not. And they don't want you to develop something new. Like I can't point to another company that's built anything remotely like us. 
there's obviously technology out there and pressure sensor insoles, but the analysis and the coaching and the wearable and, you know, the business model, I just can't see something else out there, which you could say, why is that not the case? That's kind of crazy. Or we're kind of ahead of the curve here. and We have a pretty big opportunity, which is the one that I'm betting on. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. Uh, what's your ultimate vision for Plantiga? So I think five years from now, not even, let's go 2025. There's going to be millions of people who are passively monitoring their health and performance with smart shoes. So I'm going to go in my house. I have a smart mat. My shoes in there have Plantiga pods or hardware electronics embedded in the shoe or in the insole. It's being charged. It's wireless. I put them on. And not only is the system monitoring me, but it's intelligent. So we're building an AI actually, which we are calling after my dad's name, Norman. So Norman is our AI. And without you having to teach it, Norman will just understand what is healthy for you, how you walk, how you run, how you jump. And depending on what I tell Norman that I want to do a performance program or I want to correct or I want to go through rehab or its resilience, I will be getting feedback. I can either choose to engage or not, but I think this world of instrumented smart footwear that's passively monitoring my health and my performance that I can engage with an app if and when I want, that is the future regardless of whether Plantiga builds it. To me, it's not a debate, it's going to happen. I think the question is who owns that future? I don't think Nike does because they've knocked on our door a bunch. I don't think under our, like nobody owns that future actually, but it is going to happen. Um, and that's where I think is an exciting time for us is, you know, we probably have the largest data set of our kind on, on, on the planet. Like we're approaching a hundred thousand data sets on almost 4,000 individuals. Like, like we are building something that probably our data is one of the coolest, most valuable things that we have right now. Um, right. So that's the future. And I think that we are positioned perfectly to kind of capture that because we're not really a common thing yet, but it will be common. And like you're going to buy a shoe from Nike and it's going to be powerful and it's just going to monitor you. And you can choose to sign up for the $4 a month app, which will track it, but it will be there. And the reason why they've all failed so far is because they don't really tell me that's another topic, but like my thesis for why wearables kind of suck is because no one knows what to do with the data. Mm -hmm. Like you need to be told like, why do I care? And then what should I do about it? You have a weak left side. Okay. Well then what exercises do I have to do to correct it? Like, you know, you have to <laughs> yeah. tell me what it means. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, and I think that's kind of what we understand. So I feel like that's also going to put us a little bit of ahead of the curve is it's not just the metrics. It is the recommendation engine. Like that's the, that's the beauty off of the metrics. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the key in a sense, almost. Yeah. That is the key. Like that's the magic. Like who cares that we measure ground contact time? What do I do about that? And what's right. the context for my life and my injury or my, you know, disease or my arthritis? Like, give me the context and then give me meaningful education and feedback based on that. Like, that's the, that's the magic. Yeah. Awesome. So getting these last uh, handful of questions here. Like curious, is there someone in the like human performance space? Like what are some other like niches or sectors within that space? Like you find like really interesting. Um, so I would bet the farm on personalized and proactive and preventative healthcare is the future. So I'm really, really excited by this new grouping of companies around personalized. I actually saw that you had Ari on, who's a guy that I've spoken to a bunch from Allo Health. Awesome yep. guy, awesome company. Yeah, great guy. But but just like that's an example of the future. So personalized nutrition, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. Personalized medicine, personalized cancer treatment drugs, personalized rehab, um, personalized, personalized. Like it is one thing when you start diving into research, no one fucking knows. Like 
You move different than me. I move different than somebody else. It's so hard to make blanket statements that this is good and that this is bad. No, it is all about the human being. And I have my pattern. I have my signature. What happens when my signature changes? So I'm really excited by anything around the personalized, proactive. Like I love Inside Tracker. I love companies where like an individual can go and get their blood work and get it analyzed. And I can go to a nutritionist and get something built for me, you know? Um, that's what I think is the future. And I'm super excited by any company that kind of is developing products and services around that. Yeah. Yeah. Even yeah. gut biome, dude, like you could poop in a bag and send it off to a company and they're going to analyze your feces and give you really good feedback and recommendations based on your gut biome, which we know is connected to disease and autoimmune problems and all sorts of things. Like it's just so powerful now what we're starting to uncover. And I think in human performance in 2030, when we look back in 2020, like we're just in the early phases of understanding this. I think the next five to 10 years is going to be a revolution in how humans handle their health and how they deal with, with it. I, it's just going to be like, I'm so excited for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. 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 Me too. I, ho I hope it's all positive, you know? <laughs> well, so. there's going to be a lot that's not, but I yeah. think around the personalized healthcare front and what we're talking about, there's going to be a lot. Yeah. Oh, here's a, here's a fun one. Uh, on your Instagram, you write that you're a space enthusiast. Can you, uh, can you talk about that a little? Can I elaborate? Yeah, elaborate. <laughs> Dude, I think space is the most amazing thing in the world. And I think about it often. My dad was a big space guy, but like we're literally monkeys on a planet hurtling through space. There is nothing out there as far as we can see. Literally, like if you go into space, it's a vacuum, it's cold, even what we're just starting to understand with like x-rays and we're seeing with spectrometers, these levels of energy, like, dude, it's the most awe-inspiring thing in the world. Like if you look at a Hubble telescope and you look at what it uncovers, like, man, it, it's both, it's exhilarating, but it's just amazing how it takes you out of your life. Like we're stressed, we're doing our shit. But dude, nobody cares. The, the universe <laughs> doesn't care. Space doesn't care. Like it's just big and there's different, like I still don't understand the big bang theory. Like I know it, but like, it's just like how all of this matter is even out there. And yet, like, I don't know if you follow this, but James Webb, we're just about to put pot up on the 21st. I think we're gonna launch the largest telescope ever in human history into the atmosphere, up on the other side of the moon, and we're gonna start looking at exoplanets, which are planets that are in the habitable zone around other suns to see what is there. Like imagine being able to see other <laughs> life. There's one only a light year away, which is crazy. So I just get really excited by space in general, whether it's learning about it, understanding it, and then it just humbles, it humbles me to my core to know that like, dude, me and you, in the grand scheme of things are nothing. Like we're just hydrogen, like we're just, we are literally dead, dead star stuff. That's what we are made up of, you know, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, in my lifetime, if if I see life on another planet, that'd be crazy. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I, I don't know your thought process and I don't think like, you know, it it is there. The, like the, if you look at the numbers, Dude, there's billions and billions and billions of galaxies, billions of galaxies that we've even identified. Like, it's crazy the amount of solar systems out there. There's life out there. We just mm -hmm. don't know what, like, it's almost our arrogance to think it might look like us. Like, I don't even know what it might, like, who knows what it, yeah, yeah. or maybe it's like, like, just who knows, dude, it's just crazy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, let's say we meet again on the street in five years. What would you want to be telling me that you've accomplished or created since this conversation? Maybe personally or professionally? I think professionally, I, I, I want to say, hey, look, so we're tracking Plantiga, our belly, our system of the analytics and the hardware. We're tracking millions and millions of people on a daily basis, bettering their life. 
that's what I want to do professionally. I, I really want to impact people by bringing the power of this kind of health movement data set and then making sense of it and applying it. That's really my, my goal. And my goal would be like, look, we just have 5 million people on the platform or we are embedded in a Nike shoe and they're doing it, but that's okay too. Personally, maybe I'll say that uh, I've gone to space. No, I would love to go to space. Oh, dude, I'd be the first person <laughs> to be like, take take me up there um, just to take a look, 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 look around. I think kind of on the artistic side in five years, this is just more personally, but I do want to go back to writing and recording and singing. I'd love to get some of the songs that I write in TV and film on like a personal side. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to do that. And like I'm 38 in five years, I'd be 43. So that's what I'd hope by the time I'm 43. Awesome. Very cool. What does your daily routine look like? So I have a 23 month old son and it starts with him. I don't know if you have children. I do but, not. Uh, you do not. I never thought having a kid would be that much fun as it is, <laughs> but it is amazing. I start in the morning. I probably wake up at around six. My son gets up at around 6.20 and it's just, you know, son and dad time and we rock it out till about 7.30 and then I start work. Um, before I had children, I'd be up at five or six and I'd be work, work, I'd, I'd work out and do a bunch of that. Now I have to fit that in throughout my day and night. I actually, I miss that. I miss the before kid, you'd wake up, you do like a crazy, awesome training session with a cold plunge and then a hot shower like i i, I miss that <laughs> yeah but now it's definitely family time so it's family then i'm at work and i work probably 7 30 to 6 most days so they're they're long but you know it's the nature of of running a company it takes a bunch of hustle yeah yeah so as the name of the podcast the driving force podcast what do you think has been your driving force throughout your life I think I've always, two things. I've always felt like I wanted to build shit, which actually impacted people. That kind of sounds cheesy, but it's really true. It's the reason why I like to write music. The point of music is to connect with somebody, whether it's emotionally based on a lyric or a melody, but it's similar with a startup. I really want to impact people. And second is I think I can. Like I look at some of the best entrepreneurs or companies. I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between me or them. They have just worked harder, you know, uncovered something that I haven't. But the ability is just in us thinking that we can. So I 100% think I can. And I've always been driven by the fact of creating something out of nothing that actually drives some impact in the world. Um, and now that we do customer interviews and I actually talk to our members and our product team does, and we hear the value that people get with what we are doing, I know that we're onto something big. Like there are people that use us 25 hours a month. That's literally almost like an hour a day. Like I know when we've helped somebody recover from a knee injury, and we give them the confidence to push hard because the data looks good and the coaching's good. And they're so proud of themselves. And they tell us that like, dude, like it, 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 it gives me goosebumps. Like we're actually like, we are, we are helping people. And I love that. I just want to amplify that more and more. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And then lastly here, before we wrap up, what parting words of wisdom would you like to leave the aspiring entrepreneur listening? I think when I look back at the skill that I have had that, you know, lots of startups that I know that have been in the wearable space or others have failed because I've been doing this for a decade. And I look at kind of what I've done and we're still trying to figure our kind of way in, in the world. I think it's the tenacity. Like I'm not the smartest. I'm not the brightest, but man, do I work hard. And I think for any aspiring entrepreneur, it's just, you have to be tenacious. You will have days of discouragement. Let's say you start up a startup doing something, I don't know, some product, some service, some idea, and it fails. 
don't be discouraged. Be discouraged, but get back after it. Like you can't, you just have to be tenacious. Just don't give up. Like I, I, I don't know how else to say it, but you just, yeah. you can't, you just can't let an investor say that they don't think you're going to be a big company. Who cares what they say? Like you really just have to be tenacious. And if I think if any skill that I have, while why I've been had any modicum of success, it's literally almost just being blind to that fact. And like, dude, I've had literally like 500 no's from investors, but I've had 60 yeses. So, you know, like mm-hmm. you just have to be tenacious. That's the one skill. And I look at that, like sometimes people ask me and they kind of want my opinion on their company and I'll like sit down with, with the entrepreneur and you get a sense, you can get a sense really quickly if people almost have the guts for it. Um, so those would be my parting words. Awesome. Be tenacious. Yeah. I love it. Cool. Quinn, thanks again for, for coming on. This is great. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll talk soon. Yeah. Where, uh, where can people go to find you online? Yeah. So you can follow me on um, LinkedIn or on uh, Instagram with just my name, but for playing Tiga, we're on LinkedIn and Instagram as well. I mean, if anyone is interested in learning more about the program, they can just go to plantiga.com. So that's P-L-A-N-T-I-G-A.com. Awesome. And you all can also visit my website, traceroza.com and follow me on Instagram at traceroza4 for updates on new episodes. Thanks to everyone who's listening and see you next time.